Okay. So, at the end of this talk, I'm going to be asking for money. Um, if you're a guest or if you're a visitor, then this does not apply to you. Please, hopefully, you'll get a sense of what we're about as a church, and there'll be some general principles that you can apply to your life. But other than the bit where I talk about my own personal fund for a hot tub, none of the other stuff applies, so um, just ignore it. The reason I'm asking for money is because we're 10 months into a church graph now, and in that time, we've more than tripled in size as a church. And in anticipation of this growth, what we did was we front-loaded our costs and we tripled our budget last September. And this meant that we could employ some staff. It meant that we could buy some stuff for Sundays so as to make Sundays more possible and just make some changes to the building in anticipation of that growth. And we paid for this increase in spending partly through a one-off gift from New Wine, of which we're a part of, partly through a one-off gift from some friends of ours who felt led to give a substantial amount of money, and partly from dipping into some of our financial reserves here at St. Peter's. We were also given 25K by one of the grafting churches, King's Cross Church. Uh, that actually went straight to the diocese, so as to pay for half my stipend. So as a church, we've really um, taken a step out in faith. And I just wanted to say, first up, isn't that amazing what God has done here among us as we stepped out? Because when we stepped out and we tripled the budget, um, back in that time, there were probably 30, 40 of us here. So it's incredible what God has done. Now, none of these funding revenues are likely to be repeated again this year. And so in order to be sustainable as a church, we basically need the regular giving of our church to increase so as to match our outgoing costs. And giving to the church, we believe here, is part of what it means to be part of the family of the church. And I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But before I do that, I want to talk um, a little bit about what this church is all about. What's the heartbeat of this church? What makes this church tick? So hopefully you have an idea of what's happening here. So the vision of the church is to be a family on mission to bring people home. Here's what that actually means. Firstly, family. We believe that church should feel like a family. Family is the most commonly used metaphor for the church in the New Testament. In Paul's letters alone, family references are used more than 270 times. So our relationships with each other again and again and again in the New Testament, they're hammering home, it's like being part of a family. And I believe that church needs to function like a family more so now than ever. Uh, a lot of you would have read all the stuff in the news about this loneliness epidemic that a lot of experts are predicting will hit our country in the coming years. There's been studies that have been done that say that 86% of millennials, that's people at the prime of their relational life, 86% of millennials feel lonely on a consistent basis. They don't have any kind of meaningful connection. And they're starting to do genuine scientific studies now on the health kind of um, negative effects that this lack of connection actually has. And so scientists now say that a lack of any kind of meaningful connection in our life is as bad for us physically as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. There's some crazy stats coming out about loneliness, and hence why the government are really focusing on it. They've appointed for the first time ever a minister of loneliness. And I think that actually that's all brilliant, but the church should be the antidote to loneliness in our communities. One of the verses that God keeps bringing up again and again and again is um, Psalm 68, verse 6, where it says that God will set the lonely in families. 
Like, there's a reason why we're trying to do a local parish-type church here rather than something attractional in the center because we believe, actually, the only way of having genuine, meaningful connection is to function like a family at the heart of it. And so in order to function like a family, we need church to be a place where we can be three things. Firstly, where we can be fully known. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Not just the highlight reel, not just the happy, clappy Sunday version, but everything, the real, honest us. Only then we will, have, will we have relationships that go beyond this kind of surface level connection that we tend to exist and it will be replaced by these genuine deep connections. Secondly, in order for this to happen, we need to feel safe enough to be fully known and therefore we need to love each other as we are. This means basically loving in the way that Jesus loves, so unconditionally. This means that we don't just love when the other person is on good form, when all the good bits are on show, but we love when the ugly bits are on show, which as we get to know each other more and more, will be more and more often. And then thirdly, in order for us to function as a family, we also need church to be a place where we can become who we're created to be. Every single one of us in this room has a unique calling and a unique gifting and a purpose on our life. And so as members of this family, the idea is as we get to know each other better, we're supposed to be encouraging each other in our gifting and in our calling. We're supposed to be calling it out of each other so that we become who we're created to be. So how do we do this? Well, firstly, if we want to be fully known, then it makes sense that we need to be vulnerable with each other. And this is not easy. It's incredibly hard. It's basically about being who we actually are rather than who we think we should be or who we think other people think that we should be. It's very difficult. Secondly, if we want to be loved for who we are, then we need to get very good at forgiving freely. The only way we're actually able to show unconditional love is to be able to forgive each other when that basically unconditional love, when that love is broken, when part, people, parts of the body are unlovable. That's when we need to show forgiveness as Jesus has shown forgiveness to us. And then finally, if we want to become who we're created to be, we need to get very good at encouraging each other. That means that as a family, we commit to whenever there's kind of feelings of comparison or feelings of criticism, and Jill's just shared that word, hasn't she? Instead of doing that, what we actually do is we encourage people who they actually are rather than who they might be presenting themselves to be at any given moment. We're encouraging each other to become who we're called to be. So, 10 months in, how have we been doing? Well, the honest answer is it's early days, isn't it? I mean, 10 months is nothing. Like families grow up together, they spend loads of time together. So it is early days, but there are some really encouraging signs here as a church. Just a few stories kind of illustrating what family is like. There's a beautiful story of some members of our church essentially becoming a mum and dad to a young girl who's given birth to her first baby very recently. And her parents actually rejected her because of the relationship she was in and so what happened was a group of people in this church formed this amazing amazing group around this girl and they visited her during the labor they were there the whole time during the labor they visited her after once the baby's been born and they've literally just taken in her into their home a little bit like a family as a church, we've given through something we call the Fellowship Fund, which I'll talk about in a moment. We've given to um, a mother who's basically been in an abusive relationship. In order to be able to afford to get out of it, we've had to be able to help them financially. Also, we've helped people literally house their children and give beds to their children. It's all about what it means to function as family. In the middle of the night, this is one of my favorites, Chris and Sarah went round to the Kyle's house to look after Penny and Kim so Anna could take Corbin to A&E. Corbin was suffering um, with breathing problems 
at the time. Literally middle of the night, they go around, they look after the children so Anna can go. John was asleep the whole time. Um, he's the husband. No, he was away on work in America. But this is what it means to be family. We have to actually start living out family. It's not just saying, okay, yeah, we're going to make ourselves fully known. We're going to love each other unconditionally. It's actually acting it out as a body and as a family. So how can family become more a part of our culture here at St. Peter's? Well, I think it's actually becoming increasingly difficult, and it's probably because of the growth that we've seen over the last 10 months. It's harder, isn't it, to have those genuine conversations on Sunday morning. When we were 50, it was a lot easier because you could have those relationships. Now we're over 100, it's becoming increasingly difficult. And so in the autumn term, we're gonna look at trying to do midweek smaller groups so that we can actually begin to bond better together, um, so that we can actually get to know each other and live life together and do that in that way. So we will have a plan for that um, over in the autumn term. Over the summer, we're going to do lots of socials, starting with Chris's 40th next week. So commit to coming to the socials over the summer. It's how we get to know each other. The church will naturally shrink over the summer. It always does. So it gives us more opportunity to actually get into those deep, meaningful conversations. Really basic things like, for example, surprise someone. So when they ask you how you're doing, why don't you try answering the question? We never do that. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm doing great. Try answering. It's really inconvenient terribly inconvenient but actually it's the only way we're going to build proper relationships also over the summer why don't we commit to actually inviting each other around for dinner not just the people you like and you're already friends with why don't we try and invite people around to dinner who we don't actually know in the church that's how we build relationship we're not going to be able to do it here centrally the whole time it's got to be something that we own as a whole family good so that's family Second part of the vision, we're a family on mission. This is not a social club. This is not a comfortable, cozy clique where we create house rules and we bunker down from the outside world. This is a family on mission. What's the mission? The mission is sharing Jesus. To be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus, to fall in love with Jesus, to become more like Jesus, to start doing the things that we see Jesus doing. Jesus isn't an optional add-on that we add on in the end to church. It is actually the only way of doing church. It's the only way of being a Christian. Why is Jesus so important? Well, Jesus is so important because we believe fullness of life, the life that we're created for, is only found in relationship with Jesus. And so therefore, our mission is to share this incredible life that we enjoy with him, this relationship we have with him, with others outside in the world. How has that been going? It's been going fairly well. Basically, uh, we've made a commitment to often give opportunities for people to give their lives to Jesus, to meet Jesus in a genuine um, way. And we've seen a lot of people respond to that over the months. We've had six people who have given their lives to Jesus who have really got stuck in to the church and become a part of the family. And of course, we're going to be doing our version of the Alpha course, and those guys will come on that. But also, we want more people to come on that so they can start to discover what that's like. My personal favorite is Clifford. Clifford, are you here? Clifford's series at the back. A lot of you would have chatted to Clifford. Clifford's my favorite. So Clifford basically um, watched this um, documentary on Netflix with his girlfriend about American evangelists. And he's not a Christian, doesn't go to church. Normally, he'd turn that straight off. For some reason, they watched the whole thing. Normally, he would turn it off and say, that's absolute cobblers. For some reason, when he went to bed that night, he could not stop thinking about it. 
Next day, he wakes up, and Clifford will never tell you this, but he's a bit of a YouTube star when it comes to basically creating coral reefs in like fish tanks. It's amazing. You can look it up online. But anyway, he goes onto YouTube, and on his recommended videos, rather than lots of other fish and coral reefs, um, all the Bible Project videos start appearing out of nowhere. He's not looked at Bible Project videos. He's not researched the Bible online at all. Starts appearing on his YouTube. He starts in Genesis, and he watches the whole lot, literally does the whole Bible, and thinks to himself, oh, it's probably a good idea to come to church. So he Googles church, he lives just around the corner. Another church pops up because we're terrible on Google and technology in general. Um, he ends up waking up late, so doesn't go to that church, rocks up at our church, Chris Stingle service. Chris Stingle, if you've ever been, is the most confusing service in the world. We have oranges and candles and sweets. If you get Jesus out of Chris Stingle's, then you're winning. Like, I don't know how anyone gets it out of that. He turns up to this service. I go to him at the end, and literally his face is alive, and he goes, Ben, I'm in. I'm up for it. I'm like, brilliant. Not sure what you're responding to. Brilliant. No, he, he really did understand. He just watched the whole Bible. So anyway, Cliff has been an amazing part of our church. And we're going to baptize Cliff soon along with the other people. So you'll hear more of his story. So that's fun. <laughs> Jennifer um, is here too. She gave her life to Jesus a few months back. We had this strangest moment where Hanel and I were on holiday in the Caribbean. It wasn't holiday. My brother was getting married, and he's marrying a Dutch girl. Anyway, we were in the Caribbean, and we woke up one morning. We, we basically, we wanted to make it a bit more worthwhile and talk to people about Jesus and our faith. And so we prayed, and we said, Lord, could you please turn this holiday around? The, the sun's brilliant. But could we please speak to someone about Jesus today? That day, we end up speaking to this lady um, about Jesus, about church. And by the end of the conversation, she says, oh, what church do you guys lead? And we were like, we lead a church in Brockley in southeast London. No one's ever heard of Brockley, really. And she says, that's the weirdest thing. My daughter's about to move to Brockley, like literally moving to Brockley when she gets back. So I said, that's brilliant. We'll make sure you tell her to check it out. We get back to church here. Turns out Jennifer, who's just become a Christian, is basically going to be living with this girl who's basically about to move to Brockley. So this girl has no chance whatsoever. She's going to turn up, she'll meet Jesus, and she'll become a Christian. The whole point is, actually, God is on the move. And so if we actually set it out there and we say, we want people to meet Jesus, then God will start doing these things among us. There'll start to be these coincidences that really aren't coincidences happening among us, and we'll see people come to faith. Uh, the more we engage with the community, the more we'll see people from our local community come to church. Last week we had Easter Sunday, we had six families from the local community who don't normally come to church come to church. As a part of Dance at St. Peter's, which Hanel and the team have set up, we see on Monday probably about 200 people come through the doors during the day. And we've had two families join church off the back of that, and we expect that to be loads and loads more as people start to get to know what's going on here. Of course, it's also about showing the love of Jesus to and we've been running the CAP Jobs Club. Colin and Harnick and Andy have been doing a brilliant job running the CAP Jobs Club. This is to help people get back into full-time work. I'm right, Colin, you've had three people get back into full-time work? Yes, three people through CAP have got back into full-time work. That is brilliant. We want to run CAP again this term. This is my favorite bit about CAP. CAP have a £1,000 budget. We spent £1,000 getting three people back into work. I think that is brilliant, well worth every penny. Most people in the world would say, that's stupid, ridiculous use of money. For us as a church, that is the best use of money we could ever possibly have. So we're going to run CAP again the next term. We also want to make an active response to youth violence. Chris Hens spoke a few weeks ago about youth violence. Last week's collection 
collection went to a local charity that's just started up called Power the Fight, and we're going to be giving to those guys. And we also want to make a, a practical um, response to it. And so we had a meeting here and brainstormed loads of ideas, and some of the youth came, and we really got involved in that. So we're committing in the future to actually trying to make more of a difference in that and show the love of Jesus to our local community. And obviously, we also want to um, increase what we're doing already, which is the dance stuff and the mums and toddlers and all that kind of thing as well. Okay, family, mission, what's the destination? Where do we end up? Well, we believe that we are most at home in the presence of God. The idea of our true home as humanity, as being in the presence of God, is a theme that runs throughout the entire Bible. It starts at Adam and Eve, and it basically climaxes with Jesus, and then it concludes in Revelation, where the writer of Revelation, the end of the Bible, is thinking about the end times, when God's presence is with us fully. And he says this, he says, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people. That is what we're looking forward to as Christians. And church is supposed to be a taste of that end time reality. When people come to church, they're not just supposed to meet lots of happy, clappy, nice, friendly Christians. They're supposed to come to church and encounter the living God. They're to experience the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. So how have we been doing in that? Well, what we've been doing intentionally, and you would have noticed, is we're establishing prayer ministry as a part of the culture here. Prayer ministry is not about praying very long prayers with each other or getting a shopping list prayer and then sitting down in the hairdryer kind of position and praying very long, uh, drawn-out prayers. The prayer ministry is about partnering with the person who's come up for prayer in the power of the Holy Spirit to see God touch them in powerful ways. And so we're going to be doing more and more prayer ministry as we go on. The purpose of prayer ministry is we have people praying for other people in the church who are trained in this, which basically means that there's no weird stuff going on. They're not stroking their face or pushing them over, but also that they rely on God rather than their own long prayers and theological musings from the Bible. They actually pray in the power of the Spirit as opposed to just pray as a person. And so we're going to be doing training, ministry training coming up. We'll do it Sundays after the service. So if you want to be a part of the ministry team here, you have to come to ministry training. I promise you it'll be worth it. It's really good fun, and it just means that we can actually pray for people after the service, and we've got enough people to pray. We also want to establish the gifts of the Spirit as part of the culture here at St. Peter's, and again, it was already part of the culture, but we want it to be more central to what we're doing, and so we're going to be teaching more on prophecy. We have been teaching on healing. We're going to be teaching more on healing. We saw some really fun healings last time we taught on healing. I think there was someone who didn't believe in healing who got healed, and there was also someone, it was Chris, actually. Where is he? Chris Henn reluctantly came up because someone told him to pray for someone else. He ended up getting healed whilst he was praying. So we've had some fun healings here as well. And we want more of that. It should be a normal part of what we do here at church. We've, if we believe in the power of God and the resurrection of Jesus, then we should be seeing healings week in, week out at church. We also uh, will be stepping up a bit of what we're doing with worship. So we're going to start doing monthly, not monthly, probably termly actually experience encounter evenings where we um, have extended times of worship. Sunday, basically more and more we'll be having the band and Dan is leading that and doing a brilliant job. We'll be basically leaving more space for our worship on our Sunday services. The prayer meeting during the week, Caroline and Phil are obsessed with revival. In fact, all they talk about really is revival. They've read every book. You can name a revival. They'll tell you the year. They'll tell you exactly what happened, everything. They lead our prayer meeting. And that is the best blessing that a church can possibly have. Because basically what it means is our prayer meetings are productive because they're about the kingdom of God. They're about praying and seeking first the kingdom of God and basically letting the other stuff just happen. Because the more of the kingdom we have in here, the more fun it will be for all of us anyway. And the more productive we'll be. So... 
Family on mission to bring people home. Okay, money. Really simple teaching on money. This is from Matthew 6. Let me read it. This is Jesus on money. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate one and you'll love the other or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's a famous bit of teaching from Jesus on money. What's he saying? He's saying this. Money and possessions have the power to function like a God. By that, I mean basically they have the power to define who we are, our sense of significance and our sense of worth. And so in return to us actually giving money the power to be a God over our lives, basically um, we get some measure of security and significance as we know, particularly in our money-obsessed culture. The problem is if we make money our God, then ultimately it's going to let us down because it won't be able to deliver on the core thing, which is basically giving us a sense of worth and of who we are. Jim Carrey, who I thought went mad, but anyway, he said this, I wish everyone would get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. That's not mad. That makes sense. I don't think any of us need to have um, riches to realize that money can actually have a power over us and actually isn't the answer. We all know this because every single one of us in the room would say we never have enough money. It always feels like we don't have enough money. That shows the power that money has over our lives. It creates anxiety. It creates this burden that sits on us, that controls us, and basically affects how we feel. So how can we break the power that money and possessions have over our life. Well, Jesus is saying here that we can break the power of money over us by investing it in the kingdom of God, by investing it in things that have eternal value. And therefore, this leaves us free to offer all of our devotion, all of our time and our energy to God, who really can redefine who we are who really can take the burden of what it means to be human, who really can define our sense of worth and significance and do away with our anxiety. And also, by the way, throughout the whole of the New Testament, we read time and time again, who really can look after us financially as well. Now, I realize this is easier said than done. Like, it's very nice saying that. It's a very different matter actually trying to do that, actually trying to allow ourselves to just let go of this control that money has over our lives. And I just want to say that our response as Christians to money is exactly the same as any other response in the Christian life. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in us. In the same way that we can't love each other unconditionally unless we've received and experienced the love and unconditional love of Jesus, it's exactly the same as money. We can't be overwhelmingly generous, crazy with our money because we don't have any sense of security in it unless we receive the generosity and the grace of God through what he's done on the cross, but through the ongoing experience of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's a supernatural thing. So how do we give? Well, the simple answer is that we should give as the Spirit leads. We don't believe here in any Old Testament laws of tithing. I believe that Jesus came to fulfill the law, and so therefore those laws, those laws don't apply to us now. However, unfortunately, that doesn't actually let us off the hook, because if you read the New Testament about money, basically, again and again, they say go above and beyond the tithe. They, they call us basically to be reckless, to be hilarious with our money, to be ridiculous with it, to have absolutely no sense of worth or identity at whatsoever, that we fling it away like it means absolutely nothing to us, which is a lot of fun. 
But the point is, it's a work of the Spirit. How do we give? Well, then we do a little bit at a time. It's the same way as we're opening ourselves to the Holy Spirit in worship or in prayer. It's not something we can normally just do all in straight away. It's something we gradually do. And as we realize we can actually trust God with our finances, we can trust him with our money, we start to give more because we realize that actually you can't outgive God. It's one of the amazing principles of the grace of God. So how do we give? We follow the Spirit. To whom should we give? There's some obvious things. There's an expectation in the New Testament that Christians will set aside a proportion of their income to support the work of their particular church, which makes sense if you're a family here and family is where your heart is, you're investing in things of the kingdom, it makes sense that some of your money will go towards the church. But we're also encouraged in the Bible to give to the poor, especially the poor amongst us in the body of Christ. And we do that here formally through something called the Fellowship Fund. if ever we hear about anyone who's struggling financially in the church, they can apply anonymously to the fellowship fund and then there's an anonymous board that then decide to give however much out to help that person. And we've done that four times over the last 10 months and it's incredible what God's done through it. Okay. When you give to the church, what will we spend it on? Well, apart from my hot tub, there's boring things such as heating. We need to heat the place, not so much in the summer, although probably in the summer, but very much so in the winter. Building up cake, parish share. We give money, obviously, as part of our parish share to the Church of England. We basically, at this point in our church growth in this graft, we need our giving to match the size of our church. That's essentially the thing. We took on staff as a result of trying to stimulate more growth. All of the staff, this isn't news to them, are on a one-year fixed-term contract contract, which basically means that actually we need the church to start functioning as a body and for us to be able to support the staff who, to be honest, it's quite a a modest staff for the size of church we now have. So therefore we need to be able to give in order to make that sustainable. Because of the increase in size of our church, we also actually need a few more part-time staff. We need an administrator, kind of a result of this tripling in size over the 10 months has meant that the admin is now sky high and we've got lots doing. And Sophie, who is employed as our director of operations, instead of doing operations, to be honest, is doing a lot of admin, which means she's constantly taken out along with Lynn, who does far too much for a retired person and shouldn't be working that hard. She should be enjoying ice creams on her decking but instead she's doing lots of work. We basically need to be able to fund another part-time admin in the church. We also need a caretaker. We're doing so much more in the community now, and we're using this space a lot more during the week, so we need a caretaker to stop shifting. I can't shift chairs because I'm slightly injured. I thought about sending her now to do it, but it was a bit awkward. So we need a caretaker, basically part-time caretaker to help shift the chairs and set stuff up during the week. We also need to make a few changes to the space so as to fit more people in because we're starting to get to capacity in the actual space. Anything we get over and above our costs basically will go on increasing our work in the community. So all the dance stuff we do, all the bumps and babies stuff, dance actually makes a profit, but bumps and babies and the other stuff we do, um, also obviously including CAP, um, it will all go to that kind of thing. We want to increase our social engagement, actually. We'd love to set up a CAP debt center here. So the jobs club we do is just a course to help people get into work. A debt center is for people in the local community who are crippled by debt. We want to be able to actually provide a service where we help them get out of debt, but it actually costs the church to run that service. There's also an amazing skills um, course that CAP do, which enables people to learn basic skills like budgeting and all that kind of stuff. We'd love to put that on here at St. Peter's as well. We want to increase our youth work. One of the big things that came out of our discussion about youth violence in the area is simply having spaces where youth can come in a safe environment and just hang out. And so we'd love to provide some sort of space here at St. Peter's to do that. But obviously that again costs money. 
And we'd love to increase what we're doing in terms of evangelism. One thing I didn't say about evangelism is we never ever want to become a course-based evangelistic church. It's fun, like if we do courses and we have loads of non-Christians coming, it's always good fun and we see God do lots of different stuff. But do you know what's way more powerful than running a, a huge course in a church? It's everybody in the church actually doing evangelism out there, actually talking to their friends about Jesus, actually actively feeling confident and bold enough to do it. It means so much more than running a course. So we want to obviously invest in the courses, but we want evangelism to be something organic that we do as a church. So how do we give to St. Peter's? Um, again, if you're a guest or visitor, please just ignore that. But can I draw your attention to this form? You'll be sitting on this form. If you wouldn't mind just pulling it out, that'd be great. Just from under your bottoms. Wonderful. So we tried to make this as simple as possible. There's three sections on there, four actually. First section, just your name and your address so we can hunt you down if it knows, so just so we know for our database. Um, the first section there, set up a regular gift. By far the most effective way to give to this church is by giving regularly by monthly standing order. It helps us to actually plan for our year. As a charity, we have to keep three months of running costs in the bank at all times as a buffer. It's basically a legal requirement but also if we know what's coming in month in month out we can plan as a church and it means that Chris won't be begging for food on the streets next month so if you would like to pray if you haven't set up a standing order and you'd like to pray about setting one up then this is how you do it you basically put the amount you want to give there um, monthly is easiest for us but you can also give by week or by quarter and then basically whether how you're going to do it all you're going to do if you fill that out now it's a pledge form so basically tomorrow you'll get a, a letter from our treasurer, um, basically saying, thanks so much for pledging, here's how you do it if you wanna do it. There is no shame them writing back and saying, look, I've thought about it, my circumstances have changed, I actually don't think I can manage that. Absolutely fine. Chris won't judge you. Chris is our treasurer going into next year. He won't judge you at all. He won't invite you to his party next week. But other than that, there'll be no consequences whatsoever to going back on that. So this is just a response we're making this morning to the Spirit. If you change your mind, it's absolutely fine. Second section there, if you already regularly give by standing order, can I ask you to review it? So some of us started up our regular giving 30 years ago when milk cost a tuppence. Um, you might want to think about increasing it to more in line with costs today. Um, but also, if you are giving as a regular standing order, you might want to make a one-off donation. That basically, we rely slightly in our budget as a small amount for one-off donations during gift days. So if you want to do that, you can do that there. And then last section on the form. Um, you can basically, we get money free from the government, weirdly. 25 pence on every pound. So if you're a taxpayer, you can tick that box, and then we can claim it back from the government. And on the other side there, you'll see something about payroll giving. Some companies, not all, but some companies basically agree to match giving to charities so if you want to do it that way you can do it that way and obviously your money then goes further right what we're going to do now is we're going to shut our eyes and we're going to ask the holy spirit to speak to us please 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 don't feel any guilt whatsoever about money this really is about you and god and you responding to the holy spirit so let's just shut our eyes and let's ask him how he wants us to respond this morning to this gift day